Please be seated for our Bible reading. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem, at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Shall we pray together? Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding to awaken our hearts, expand our minds and shape our identity in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two years ago, at just after 5pm local time on Palm Sunday, he walked off the 18th green at Augusta National to what was described at the, in the moment as the greatest scene in golf forever. And as he walked triumphantly to the clubhouse, he was swept along by the sheer emotion and frenzy. Crowds gathered at least 20, maybe 30 deep. You know, on either side, a haunting reminder of our pre-COVID days, just to glimpse, just to touch and see their hero. 
In a world where we venerate our modern-day sporting icons as gods, here was the, the greatest returning to make the ride of his life as he had on four previous occasions. Yet nothing past, present, or forever would rival this glorious entry, the euphoria and hysteria, the celebration and exhilaration, the passion and sheer noise of the roars as they shouted his five-letter name, Tiger, Tiger. Maybe you watched those scenes two years ago on Palm Sunday, as I did, from that iconic venue in that corner of Georgia. And as I did, my thoughts moved back to the first. Picture the scene with me, the massing crowds who'd gathered at Passover time, who cheer on their hero as he gloriously and triumphantly rides into the iconic venue of Jerusalem. Do you see the pressing and the pushing to see him and touch him? Imagine the euphoria and hysteria, the celebration and exhilaration, the passion and sheer noise of the roars as their two chant his five-letter name, Jesus, Jesus. Now, once more, we arrive in the calendar of Palm Sunday. The big idea, if you like, of Palm Sunday in the gospel of Jesus' life, as is written by Mark, is to make explicit two things. The first is who Jesus is, namely the king. And secondly, why the king is here. As the king who comes to serve and save now. If we were to take them in order, Mark wants to paint a picture for us, if you like, all the way through his narrative, and especially this morning in this scene, of Jesus being the king. You see, if we survey the big picture, if we take one of those, get out our phones and take one of those panorama, if you like, panoramic photos, And if we were to look at Mark's epic story, what we can identify within the narrative landscape, if you like, is these emerging broad brushstrokes of Mark's hand. The biblical scholars will refer to this as the open secret of Mark's gospel, something that is both hidden and yet revealed at the same time of Jesus' kingship. So if you want, you can go and read Mark's gospel. It will take you about 75 minutes to read it. Maybe that's a challenge this week. And see if you can identify these broad brushstrokes that that we can find within the whole of the text. We have the broad brushstrokes of the bold statements that he makes of who Jesus is right at the start in the prologue. In Peter's famous confession of the Christ in the triumphal entry that we have this morning. In Jesus' own words, at his trial to Pilate, and of course, most famously, perhaps of all, in the centurion's declaration at the cross. We have the broad brushstrokes of the bold statements, but also subtler to identify, but you can still see them are the broad brushstrokes of statements of Jesus' kingship embedded in the narrative, usually in the form of questions. Who can forgive sins? Something that only God can do. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
or who walks on the sea. They were all there. The broad brushstrokes of the subtler, but still you can identify Jesus' kingship. And yet then elsewhere we'll read these broad brushstroke statements of how Jesus wants to keep his identity secret. He cures many sick of their diseases and casts out many demons, yet he won't allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Then after raising Jairus' daughter from the dead, what does he do? He orders those to tell no one what they'd seen, words that he would say likewise to Peter, James and John as they come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. If you like, there's the big picture panoramic view that Mark is portraying. And the picture that he wants to paint throughout his gospel of who Jesus is as the king in these three ways. But now if we get into the fine detail, now if we get into, the, if you like, the little picture portrait that we have before us of this legendary scene of Palm Sunday, we now see how Mark makes explicit and implicit the theme of Jesus' kingship. Yet how explicit it might be to us and how much it might still remain an open secret depends upon whether we can see these signs for ourselves. For instance, let's examine the narrow brushstrokes, if you like now, of Mark's hand. Because his words in this passage are quite literally loaded. Literally and metaphorically with signs of Jesus' kingship. Here Here are four Narrow, if you like, precise strokes of fine detail. See if you can see them, if you, if you like, in the text before you. First, we have the fine detail of how Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Something only a victorious king would do. And did you notice how Jesus rides, but he also, he commandeers a cult for the purpose, and we read it's an un- unridden cult. Why is it an unridden cult? Because who else? Nobody else would ride a king's horse. Secondly, we see the fine detail of how Jesus speaks with the king's authority. See the language Mark, use, Mark uses. Jesus says to two of his apprentices, Go into the village. And as you enter it, you'll see a cult. Untie the cult and bring it to me. If anyone asks why, say the Lord needs it. And did you notice how it happens exactly as Jesus said it would? They went and they found a colt near a door. And as they were untying it, the bystanders asked, what are you doing? We're untying the colt. And they told them that Jesus had said what Jesus had said. And they allowed him to take it. Jesus rides. He speaks with with a king's authority. But thirdly, we see the fine detail of the actions. Not just of Jesus' apprentices, the disciples but also the crowds in recognizing his kingship. The two disciples Jesus sends, a bear. Just go into the village and take a colt. They go and they obey. But not only do they obey, they throw their cloaks on the colt. If you like making a throne, for Jesus to sit on. Then not only the disciples, but the crowds, they start to spread their cloaks on the floor. They start to, these, these branches that they would have cut from the fields, they throw them on the floor 
on the road, another way of demonstrating, if you like, Jesus being a king. But then fourthly, we see the fine details of the shouts, the roars, not only of Jesus' apprentices, but also the crowds as well that kind of symbolize Jesus' kingship. Hosanna! Hosanna is not a cry of praise to Jesus. It's a cry to Jesus to save. The Hebrew word Hosanna means save now. Save immediately. Save not in 10 months' time or not even tomorrow. Save now. It's a cry to Jesus to break in. A desperate cry to break in and save his people. A cry by the people seeking help and protection at the hand of the king as the Israelites have done in the Old Testament. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord is a messianic statement of the first order taken straight out of that psalm that we read earlier. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David invokes Jesus now in that messianic line of Israel's greatest king, David, which the blind man Bartimaeus had acclaimed immediately before this passage. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now is the moment. Save now. You see, the events of Palm Sunday firstly revealed Jesus' kingship, but also why he came as king, as the one who reigns to serve and save now. As Jesus had famously said to his apprentices only a few verses before these events, I've come not to be served, but to serve, to give my life a ransom for many. Jesus rides as the king, not on some impressive horse, but humbly on a colt or donkey to illustrate his willingness to serve. And at each moment as he hears those loud acclamations of Hosanna, he looks down and notices the image marked and etched on every donkey. The image that would be etched on his own body as he looks down in agony and love from a cross to save us. It would be on Friday on a cross that Jesus the King demonstrates out of his love for us what Hosanna means. It took his breath away and it took our sin away. In a few hours' time from now, one of my daughters will travel through perhaps the most famous train station in London, King's Cross, especially if she wants to catch her flight home this afternoon. I want to say to you this morning, you never hail Jesus as king of your life. You'll never be freed to discover the best version of you until you stop and go through King's Cross Station. You see, all of us have to stop and go through King's Cross Station, either early in life, either now or later in life, at some stage in our lives, and perhaps repeatedly. 
to find salvation from our sin in King Jesus and to be freed to find the best version of ourselves. But as I close, one final thing. Notice how the now of today ends in verse 11. Because it can almost be seen as a bit of an anticlimax, can't we? But we read Jesus goes to the temple, the heart of, if you like, Israel's religious life and the symbol of its national identity and enters probably what would have been the outer court where anyone could go. And what did he do? After the euphoria of the celebration, Jesus then presses pause. He has his eyes open for what is ahead, yet he returns to Bethany, a traditional pilgrim's resting place for what could be described as the lull before the storm. It was only because each day Jesus faced God the Father that he could face the world's challenge with such courage. As we enter Holy Week, we would perhaps be wise to heed Jesus' example. Maybe as some of us feel that we can maybe live again in the lull after the storm. Could well be wise this Holy Week to rest, to recharge, to recognize through the events of this week how much we have changed and to remind ourselves where our strength comes from, to face afresh the world's challenge with courage. And so I leave you this morning with five questions to think on during Holy Week. Where might you need to recognize Jesus as your king? Where might you need to hear in your life Jesus' clear instruction? Where do you just need to obey the king's orders? Where does the king need to arrive and save you now? And where might you need to rest and recharge in the presence and protection of Jesus the King. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.